You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Hands washed so often that the skin is left raw and cracked. The placement of objects on a dresser or desk that are never quite right. These are only a few examples of the disturbing and uncomfortable rituals that some individuals feel compelled to partake in daily, despite a desire to stop and often with a complete understanding that the behaviors are irrational. Life with the persistent and often agonizingly convincing messages generated in the brain that is tormented by obsessive-compulsive disorder is the topic of this clinician's roundtable. Welcome. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, is Dr. Bradley Riemann, Director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital. Dr. Riemann is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the Chicago Medical School, Marquette University, and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He is the founder of the Anxiety Disorders Foundation, a charitable organization dedicated to improving the lives of those affected by anxiety disorders. Welcome, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. Dr. Riemann, OCD is currently classified as an anxiety disorder. Let's begin our discussion by differentiating between anxiety and fear. Well, that's a good question. I guess the way I look at it is is the anxiety really is kind of the emotional consequence, if you will, of fear. And I look at the, the fear part of it as being more of the, the thought part or the cognitive part or, or uh, certain behavioral kinds of things that someone may do. So the idea is if I get a thought like, I may get HIV from touching this doorknob. I mean, that's kind of the thought or the fear part. The anxiety that I experience, the, the physiological reaction I get to that thought is kind of more of what I would guess look at as, as the anxiety piece. Everyone feels anxious sometimes, and that is normal. What symptoms are present in anxiety disorders indicating to the clinician that the patient is experiencing a malfunction in normal responses? Well, I think it's really a matter of, is it interfering with someone's life? I mean, in other words, you are absolutely right. Anxiety is a natural, normal human emotion that we all experience from time to time. Thankfully, for most of us, however, that anxiety remains reasonably in check so that it doesn't interfere with our ability to function. Unfortunately for some, however, that's not the case. And, and so we really look for, you know, impairment in, in say, uh, academic or occupational functioning, uh, how things are going within a family system, how things are going socially. And once you start to see that anxiety in some way, shape, or form is interfering with the person's ability to function in, in some domain or, or perhaps all of those domains, that's when we're going to start getting worried about an anxiety disorder. What are some of the types of maladaptive thinking that those with anxiety disorders engage in? It can certainly be varied, but the two, I think, most common errors in thinking, if you will, that we see in in people with anxiety conditions would be one called a, a probability overestimation error or an overestimation error for short sometimes. And the idea here is that these individuals will overestimate the likelihood of certain bad events occurring. So again, someone with obsessive compulsive disorder, for example, is going to overestimate the likelihood that they're going to contract HIV by coming in contact with things in their normal daily environment. Another type of error in thought very common is called a catastrophizing error. And this is when someone magnifies, blows out of proportion, or catastrophizes how bad fairly likely events really are. Again, in the case of an OCD contamination case, this might be the fact that the young man who bagged their groceries looked a little unkept or the person in the stall next to them in the restroom, used the restroom and didn't wash their hands, for example. Everyone from time to time will make these errors in thinking, but someone with an anxiety disorder typically makes them far more often and has a harder time self-correcting them. Let's talk about causes. People suffering from OCD or 
sometimes their family members, might attribute the disorder to a flaw in personality or, as was frequently done in the past by mental health professionals, to blame family dynamics. What do we now know about the causes of OCD? Well, I think we certainly know that it's not a flaw in personality, and we certainly know that it is not some sort of problem in family dynamics. It's pretty clear, Dr. Margolin, that OCD is a neurobiological condition. We don't know exactly what's going on. Many people feel that the brain chemical serotonin is involved, but clearly it's a neurobiological problem. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Brad Riemann, director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And we are talking about current perceptions and treatments of obsessive compulsive disorder. Dr. Riemann, this is a really interesting shift for clinicians from looking at OCD as strictly a psychological disorder to now looking at it as a neurobiological disorder. But OCD is still considered an anxiety disorder. How does that affect how they look at OCD? I think that the the thought leaders in the field, it doesn't affect the way they look at it at all. I think it's certainly something that most of us have felt for a long time, and the evidence continues to mount. You know, if if you go back to the old days where you know, Sigmund Freud would have said it was a, you know, a problem in toilet training or something like that that would cause someone to to have OCD. There's just virtually no evidence to support of any of that kind of involvement. And I think that there are some psychologists who kind of still hold on to the, the thought that uh, there are cognitive factors involved. A, a common one is the, this uh, idea of thought suppression where people with OCD, because these thoughts are very unwanted and very troubling, they, they try to push them out of their mind And, of course, a paradoxical effect occurs. The harder you try to not think of something, the more you think of it. The old research laboratory example is try not to think of a white bear. The harder you try not to think of it, the more you you see it or the more you visualize it or think about it. As a psychologist myself, I, I certainly support cognitive mechanisms involved in anxiety disorders, but I guess my thought being is that you can't really separate out mind from body. The problems that you may see, the differences that you may see in the way someone with OCD thinks compared to someone who does not have OCD, in my opinion, is a biological function at some level. So it, it really hasn't uh, changed the way many of us think about it. Well, let's let's look at brain functioning for a moment here. What have brain imaging studies revealed about functioning and possible structural differences in the brain with OCD? The brain imaging stuff, of course, is you know is just fascinating work, and it's and it's really just kind of starting to get going here over the last decade. And, and what I would say is one of the things that you can easily get early in, in your looking at these results is frustration. In other words, one study will show some kind of amazing things, and then someone tries to replicate it, and they can't. So the, 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 work, the, the results are kind of all over the place. But the main finding that, that seems to be fairly solid is there are certain parts of the brain that do seem to kind of be hyper-functioning in terms of uh, work and overtime, so to speak, in someone's brain who has OCD. These areas tend to be kind of the basal ganglion area, kind of in the midbrain, and then also uh, the frontal cortex or the orbital frontal cortex in the front here. In PET scans, for example, that really kind of a high-tech x-ray that shows functioning uh, uh, metabolism uh, of glucose, you see that those areas are really lit up and they're, and they're, they're working overtime, as I said. But it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to, to gauge a cause and effect. I mean, is, is this abnormality, this hypermetabolism, what causes people to have OCD, or is this a consequence of having OCD? And we really don't know. 
One of the interesting things, however, is through successful treatment, you see a reduction in that effect. Clearly, it's, it's an exciting area. And you're referring to treatment as using antidepressant medication and cognitive behavioral therapy. Correct. But I'm wondering what what is the latest thinking on surgical procedures and deep brain stimulation as treatment? That's a great question, another area of interest. Generally, neurosurgery kinds of things are not even going to be considered unless a patient has really uh, failed trials of, of really all of the recognized medicines and failed a trial of intensive cognitive behavioral therapy. But when someone has unfortunately failed those uh, attempts, then they can be assessed and considered for some of these procedures. Of course, historically, there have been actual surgical procedures that have cut tissue, and uh, they have been found to be helpful in some cases. This deep brain stimulation is very exciting because it's, it's, it's nearly reversible. In other words, you're not severing tissue. You're putting in electrodes into certain parts of the brain. The electrical current can be adjusted. Uh, it's basically kind of the same process of like as a pacemaker Uh, Obviously, it's also been used very successfully in Parkinson's, and so it's basically the same kind of protocol. Historically, basically a third of these treatment non-responders would get about a third better. However, some data out of MGH, or the Massachusetts General Hospital here recently, shows that it actually might be more effective still than that. About uh, They reported that about 75% of their non-responders got about a third better, the idea here is that it's kind of lowering the threshold, Dr. Margolin, which may then allow the more traditional techniques to then be used again. One of the causes that has been identified for certain patients, I imagine a low percentage of patients with OCD, is pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcal infections, or PANDAS. Can you talk to us about this? PANDAS is is an interesting finding. As you mentioned, it really seems to be relevant to the minority of cases, and and I would go as far as saying the vast minority of cases. It it is a true condition. There's no question about that. There's been a lot of great uh, research done in this area, but it really does seem to be relevant only for, uh, you know, the, 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 the vast minority of patients. In other words, the idea here is that in some people with OCD, uh, particularly kids, they will report a very, very abrupt onset, which is not traditionally the way OCD develops. Uh, in other words, Johnny kind of goes to bed one night feeling fine, and the next day wakes up and is washing his hands like mad. Parents kind of look at Johnny like, gee, what's going on? He's not normally like that, but they kind of let it go. It persists for a couple of days. Finally, parents say, geez, we don't know what's going on with Johnny, but you know, we're going to take him to his doctor. And doctor says, Johnny, what's going on? And uh, Johnny says, I don't know, but I'm just you know, feeling dirtier and want to wash my hands more. Uh, typically, the doctor would follow up and say, hey, how have you been feeling? Uh, you had any sore throats? Yes, I have. And the idea here is they, they do a, a strep culture and find out, sure enough, uh, the young man has strep. The, the idea here, apparently, is that in certain individuals, when they get strep, the body's immune system, of course, kind of goes into overdrive and attempts to combat it and uh, unfortunately seems to uh, affect, however, neurochemistry in in a way and in certain parts of the brain where it produces this obsessive-compulsive-like syndrome. Uh, And and again, it's very abrupt onset, can get quite severe very, very quickly. And that seems to be what's going on. But again, we've only seen a handful of documented cases, you know, maybe of the 3,500 cases of OCD we've seen, maybe we've seen four or five. Now, we've seen hundreds of people who thought that they were 
uh, pandas cases, but when uh, taking uh, you know a closer look, it just didn't uh, meet the criteria. Perhaps the OCD was there be- all along. Yeah, perhaps they had some symptoms all along, and this just kind of exacerbated the situation. Or many times they didn't have a positive strep culture. You know that type of thing. Is the course of symptoms the same, or does the, do the symptoms retreat when the strep? goes away. Well, you can see this uh, kind of amazing effect that as, uh, say, so for example, somebody has strep, they, they're given an antibiotic, and many times you will see a lessening of the obsessive compulsive symptoms. On some occasions, apparently, you can even see an elimination of them. When strep reemerges, you see a reemergence of the, the OCD symptoms. So it can kind of be this bit of a roller coaster kind of thing, but the, the majority of patients do still have some symptoms. And then really the treatment for these individuals is really the same as, as an or, you know, a, a more usual case of OCD. Very interesting, but very unusual. Not as common as people think. Let's put it that way. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Bradley Riemann, Director of the OCD Center and Cognitive Behavioral Services at Rogers Memorial Hospital. Thank you, Dr. Riemann. Thank you. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.